Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, welcome Cornerstone Church family. And what a joy we have to be able to have this opportunity to meet. And good to see you all. I was uh, kind of scanning through, getting a chance to see the congregation. I'm sure that you did the same thing. And so we're just going to be gathering around the word this morning. We are doing life together. We don't believe that uh, there can be anything that can separate us from the love of God. And that's just not his love coming down, but his love being shared from one to another. So uh, again, we welcome you. If you're first time visiting with us, we are glad you are joining church today. I haven't said that in a long time. Uh, Usually I can look down through the congregation, see new faces, and not so much on Zoom. So if you're joining us today, again, welcome. We're glad that you're able to join us. Trust that you can settle in. Grab your Bibles. We're going to do some Bible study this morning. Uh, The session that we are on is uh, the session, again, in doing life together. We're going to be talking a little bit about worship. And this is this is probably my favorite topic, is about worship. It's not about singing. When you hear worship, it doesn't mean you're just singing. Worship is a whole lot more than singing. Uh, really, our response to God in however we respond, whether we are singing, whether we are uh, speaking of him, preaching, whether we are praying, we could be expressing through clapping of hands. It could be shouting. It could be dancing. It's worship. And so worship is quite a broad spectrum, so let's not narrow it down. It is so big, it is so beautiful, and it's meant to be beautiful. But worship to everyone is not necessarily a a pleasing word. So we're going to be starting, and and the topic today is becoming a worshiper. And we're going to be turning to Genesis chapter 12. So if you grab your Bibles, turn there. And I'm going to invite you, if you have a pen or pencil, if you could take that, because we're going to get opportunity to maybe... Um, I want to highlight some things, and I've done this in my Bible, and, and you might want to do it in yours as well. I know it's a bit more awkward if you have a device, but this is something you might want to consider. Genesis, it was just over a year ago we finished, I think it would be, what, about 14 months ago, maybe 15 months ago now, we finished a series on Genesis. Uh, a series that uh, really helped shape a number of things, certainly historically, and theologically. We got to the end of Genesis 11 when we did that series. And to be honest, if we hadn't been kicked into the pandemic, I was going to start into Genesis 12. And it was a little bit about what I'm talking about today. I was going to go a little bit of a different direction. But then we got kicked out of church. We were trying to figure out what to do. We were going into, actually, that next sermon was a a live sermon. It was videotaped. It wasn't live. It was videotaped and then put on. Then the week after that, we went into Zoom. And we've been doing this for a long time now. So here we are, uh, 14, 15 months later. I'm back to Genesis 12 because Genesis 12 talks about altars. I'm going to share something. You may or may not know this. I think most people don't. When I've shared this before and when I learned it, it was something new to me. The first, in Genesis chapter 4, Abel, the Bible says he offered an offering to the Lord. He sacrificed of uh, one of the first of the flock, and then he offered an offering to the Lord. didn't say altar. But you get to Genesis chapter 8, and Noah and his family, they get off the big boat. And this is, I mean, they've just been saved. I mean, they're the only family alive. God has miraculously sustained them and saved them. And they built this altar. That's the first time I see altar 
mentioned in the Bible. Then we slide to Genesis chapter 12, and with Abraham, it's mentioned over and over and over and over. We're going to show that. He over and over again begins to build these altars. Now, that was their expression to worship. It was the actual physical building of the altar and the sacrifice put on the altar, and it wasn't just a set of regulations. It was a heart connection of expression to God. So we're, let's read that. Genesis chapter 12, if you have it, we're going to go down to verse 6. Abram, that was his early name, Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Sheshem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now note this part. This is the part you want to underline right here. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. That's the first one I want you to mark. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. Mark this part. There he built an altar to the Lord. You can mark that altar, number two. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Go to the next chapter, chapter 13, verse 3. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. An altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Note that part, verse 4, where he had first built an altar. Now, he doesn't rebuild it. Well, he does. He tidies it up, but he comes back to an altar. That's number 3. Then go down to verse 18. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre in, in Hebron, where he pitched his tents. Here's the next one. There he built an altar to the Lord. That's the next one. And then I'm going to add one a little bit later, but we're going to get to that one. Let's just open our time in prayer. So Father in heaven, we open our hearts and ask you, the giver of life, the revealer of all knowledge, to grant to us revelation of altars, because we live in a time that we don't do altars. So, Lord, help us to understand the significance of these altars, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I was just about five years into ministry, Lori and myself, five years into ministry. We were going on vacation. We were able to snag one of our grandparents one of our kids' grandparents, to look after our one-year-old and our three-year-old at the time. Yeah, that was a while ago. And we went on vacation. When we went on vacation, here's what was going on in my life. I'd been, I'd been pastoring a church now for almost five years at that point in time, and I was asking some of these questions, questions like, what are church services supposed to be really all about? I was working through those things. I just didn't want to go through the motions. Why do we sing the way we do in church? Why are services called services? You ever wondered that? What is a liturgy? And do only liturgical churches have liturgy? Or do we have liturgies too? If you notice, if you are joining us from maybe more traditional church, you discover we don't have a lot of what they consider liturgies that we go through, the readings and stuff. So, but do we have our liturgy, liturgies? And what practices do we observe that we shouldn't be observing anymore? And 
is tradition good or tradition all bad? And I was working through these things. So here I am, five years into ministry. We're on vacation. Lori and I went and visited a church we had never been in, heard about it. A speaker from that church had visited a conference of ours. So we went to his home church. Uh, some of you may recognize, I'll just throw the name out. Uh, I don't even know if they're doing it anymore. Carpenter's Home Church. We went to Carpenter's Home Church. But here's the problem. I misjudged when they started. We came in 30 minutes late. Now, I know some of you, that's the sway. You thought that's normal. But for us, no, 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 no. That's not normal. 30 minutes late is not normal. We walked in. We were so embarrassed. We were in the foyer, and we actually contemplated to even bother continuing on. I was ready to pack it up, walk out, so I wouldn't be embarrassed walking in 30 minutes late. But we decided we would. So we went in. We opened these great big wooden doors to the sanctuary, and uh, we were met with a barrage of sound, mixture of voices, musical instruments, ensembles, singing, moanings. We slipped in and took our seat because we didn't want to be noticed by anybody. And then when we sat down, we realized everybody's standing. Now, remember, this is 31 years ago. Everybody's standing. They stood for the entire thing. We didn't do that back home. They, I mean, my, my, I think my congregation would have probably kicked me out if I told them to stand the whole service, like the whole worship service at that time. And here they were standing. It was 30 minutes into their worship, and they were standing, hands lifted up, and they were worshiping. Now, I'd been in worship service. I'm Pentecostal. But we weren't but about one or two minutes into that worship service, and he was there. Holy Spirit, in a way, I don't think I had ever encountered him. I don't think it was just the magnitude of the room, the sound of incredible music. He was there. It was a presence that I was familiar with, but not at this depth. It was a presence that undid me. I wanted to sing, but I didn't know the words to the songs. I mean, the words were up, and remember 31 years ago, it was on a PowerPoint. The words were on a PowerPoint, or they were on actually a slide, transparency. I didn't, I didn't know the song, but it wasn't the song. I tried to sing. It wasn't that I did. It felt like, here's the only way I can describe it. It felt like there was an invisible hand that reached out and pulled a veil back off of my heart and revealed worship to me. And I wept. Now, I'm not given to a lot of weeping. I'm not given to a lot of emotionalism that way. But I tried to sing, but all came up with blubbering, and tears were coming down. My eyes were stinging. I couldn't see properly. And I just loved my God. And I was just minutes in. Within a matter of one or two minutes, God did more for me than he had for years. I wrote in my journal that evening. I wrote in my journal this entry. Today has marked the first day of a journey I know God is taking me on. He has redefined worship. We would, in the next week, go to two other worship services, two different churches. The same thing happened. Same thing happened. So the story of Abraham, chapter 12. Abraham, his life is a life of paradox. He's considered and called the father of faith, and yet he lacks faith. I mean, he is the one who denied his wife, Sarah, and lied about her because he honestly didn't know if he could trust God to be for him when he was facing 
threats. And so here's this guy, he's father of faith, and yet he lacks faith. So how does Abraham get to have the title that no one else can claim to be called the father of all faith? Well, it wasn't because he had incredible faith. You want to know what it is? Chapter 12. It's because of the altars. He had a secret that brought him to the place of being father of faith that was really unknown, unprecedented at the time, as we see, and we're going to see this morning as we go through this. The secret is found in the altars. He had a worship walk that I think is going to offer us lessons, and we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks together as we begin to study and investigate worship, of how can we get to the place of really overcoming the barriers we have in our faith walk through worship. Is it possible? Well, it was with Abraham. So I want to go back to the altars. Can, let's go back to them. Genesis chapter 12, we read this earlier, verse 7. Let's read it again. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Okay, number one, altar number one, accepting God's promises. You ever heard the expression, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true, all right? Uh, anything big and free, hmm, think about it. It probably is too good to be true. So we started off verse seven. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give. And I want you to, I picture this, picture in his heart, you see the sweeping of my arm, this land, as far as you can see. Your offspring is numbered like the grains of the sand on the beach. And I'll give massive amount, of, I'll give you all this land to your offspring. And that must have seemed overwhelming. I mean, Abraham's just a guy, an ordinary guy. And God is saying, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to give it all. You're going to, you're going to be a representative of me. Too good to be true. And I'm, I'm sure he doubted it because he's human. The greatness that God was promising, if it seems free, hmm, there's got to be a catch. He didn't get it because he was doubt-free. He didn't get it because he was an amazing man of faith because of faith reasons. He got it because God had promised. And it's here he builds an altar of worship. I want to suggest to you the first point, the first place, if we're going to begin to understand anything about worship, that's why we need to understand something about the earliest worship in the Bible, the altars. We need to understand this. When God speaks his promises to us, begin to worship him. That's it. Don't just say, okay, well, you know, I'll see if it happens. Or, good to be me. Begin to worship him. When Abraham, verse 7, when the Lord appeared to Abraham, to your offspring, I give this land, he built an altar and began to worship. Church, listen, beloved, when God speaks and the promises as a child of God, just begin to worship. It means that you are accepting his promises. When you worship, it opens your heart of acceptance. It opens your heart of saying yes to God. God, I'm available for you to flow through. I am open to what you want to do. If you don't worship, frequently you're closed. Open up your heart and begin to worship him. And Abraham started at this place of worship. Worshiping the giver of the promise which subsequently reminds us of his power to perform and his faithfulness to keep it. 
So I worship not simply what he's about to do. I worship who he is. He's given me a promise. I worship the promiser. He's given me a gift of a new land. I worship the giver. So I accept it by worshiping. Altar number one, begin to worship him. We go to the next verse, verse eight and nine. It says, from there, he went toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. Here it is. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So he builds altar number two. Now, remember, he's growing in faith. He's growing deeper now. He's built the altar of acceptance to God's promises in his life, and he worships. But now he's growing deeper in his faith. He moves on, and you see him build another altar. You see, it's never one altar. It's never a worship experience. He builds another altar to the Lord. But did you notice there's something different on this one? It says, there he built an altar to the Lord, and, okay, here it is. He called on the name of the Lord. He's growing deeper in worship. The name of the Lord reflects God's nature, his character, his person. And Abraham would have been familiar with some of the names. I believe at least four names he would have been familiar with. First of all, Elohim. Elohim means supreme deity. I'm going to suggest that that was one of the names he calls. He begins to call Elohim, supreme deity. Now, this is in a day of pluralism. This is in the day of multiple gods. You are supreme amongst all gods. To you alone is authority of God. You are deity. You alone, you're supreme. And I believe he would have understood L, E-L. L means most high God. You stand above all, and he is worshiping. He would have been familiar with the word Jehovah. Jehovah means most sacred one, the Lord. We, when we say Lord, when we start our prayers, Lord, when we speak of the Lord, it goes from the Hebrew Jehovah. Lord, most sacred one. He would have understood that. And he wouldn't have, he, the writers never wrote this out because it was too sacred. Yahweh, Yahweh, maker of heaven and earth. The point is this there is a parallel reality. Every one of us, even today, faces regularly. And it's the reality. The reality is this. The liar, the arch deceiver, is ever present to contest the trustworthiness of God in your life. Especially when it comes time that you've been given a promise, and then time passes, and it hasn't been fulfilled. You know what we're talking about, don't you? This is the time where you, you know God has got promises for you. He, he's spoken from his word, things for you, but you haven't seen them come to pass. And time goes on, time goes on, time goes on. And the enemy of your soul is saying, God can't be trusted. It's not going to come to pass. And he challenges you. And when the attacks of the enemy assails you and comes against your confidence, listen, ongoing sustained worship is the key to victory. It really is. When I walk each day into his presence, worshiping him, I allow the Holy Spirit to bring forth the name of Jesus, his faithfulness, his healing, his love, his keeping power. I begin to declare the names of God. We need to get a hold of the names of God. If you're saying, well, I don't know many names of God, well, Google it. You'll find probably more than 100. 
and then begin to worship him according to the names that he reveals himself through. Abraham comes to this place in his life because time has passed. He hasn't seen the fulfillment of his promises, but he calls on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. This is where you will defeat the liar. You begin to declare who he is, his character, his nature, his person, and you will discover faith will arise in your spirit. You will be victorious. Next, Genesis, we're going to go chapter 13. Now, something happens between chapter 12 and 13. I'll talk about that in a second, but let's go to 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Now, down to verse 4. And it finishes by saying, and where he had first built an altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. There where he had first built an altar. Altar number three is returning to God. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 13, Abraham took a detour. He got off track. He ended up going to Egypt. There was a famine. He went to Egypt, and God never told him to go to Egypt. He went to Egypt because he heard there was food, and so he went to Egypt. He went to Egypt against the will of God, and here he compromised his relationship with his own wife. He lied about her to Pharaoh, and thirdly, in Egypt, Pharaoh was his hand of provision. If you're going to be the father of faith, God needs to be your hand of provision, but he had now trusted Pharaoh's hand to provide for him. Mm. Slippery slope. And finally, God flicked Pharaoh and had Pharaoh kick him and Sarah out of Egypt. And when they got out of Egypt, note what happened. Here's the point. He returns to the first altar. He goes back to the altar. Now, have you ever played the game of Monopoly? Game of Monopoly. I haven't played it in years. Game of Monopoly. Original version, game Monopoly. If you land on chance, you get a card that tells you return to go, which means you're being penalized. You have to go back, return to go. But here's the last part of the card. It says collect 200. So which is it? Are you penalized or are you rewarded? Are you penalized or are you rewarded? And the answer is both. You go back to go, but you collect 200. It's an irony of the game. And the irony of returning is sometimes it sets you back farther than you were before. It rewards you. Listen, sometime in life's pursuits, we drift. We get, off play, we get off the track that we're supposed to be on. All of us do. I do. Too many times I want to admit. Get off track. The God who began with you in worship will draw you back to the place of your beginnings, the place of worship. And when he does, worship him at once. He goes back to the altar. He doesn't build another. He goes back to the altar. And worships God again. Oh, what a beautiful story, isn't it? It's the call of us. Check your heart today. Maybe there's been wandering. Maybe you've become callous. Maybe you've become cynical, critical, whatever it might be. You need to go back to the altar of worship. Go back to once, once, return and worship Him. He's still there. He is going to not only bring His Spirit back into your life, but he will grant you many times, you'll get to collect 200 in the process. There will be blessings. I've discovered in my life that frequently I drift and I, I get back into the place in his presence 
in worship. So God might be checking your heart this morning. Let's be honest. Is he checking your heart this morning? How's it going? And he's calling you. Why don't you return? Don't linger. Even today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for the opening of the churches. As a matter of fact, at the end of the message, I'm going to do something I haven't done for the last 15 months, which I so miss doing. I'm going to pick up my guitar again. We're going to just have a minute or two of worship because some of us need to get back and it'd be kind of nice to do it together, wouldn't it? Number three, returning to God, the altar of returning to God. Well, let's go to the next altar. Go down to verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length, breadth of the land, for I am, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre, of Hebron. Here it is, where he built an altar to the Lord. He builds another altar, chapter 13. We know Abraham is far from perfect. The main reason Abraham is the father of faith, the main reason he is a hero, a, a pioneer, he is an example of faith, is his, his continuous worship walks. You see frequent altars in his life, and that is the secret. As soon as God dealt with Abram, he would immediately respond in worship. Did you hear that? As soon as God dealt with Abram, he responds in worship. It's one of the reasons in church, in every church of pastor, churches that go to, I, I firmly believe this, even Bible studies, you just don't, you know, finish, buy, take off, have an opportunity to worship him. It could be in singing. It could be in time of prayer. It could be a time of just lifting your voice to the Lord, but worship him. Don't miss the opportunity of coming back and growing deeper into the place of worship. There's where your faith will be built on the foundations of worship. Here is the point. Worship transcends our weakness while acknowledging God's power. God had told him, Abraham, I'm going to give you all this land. It was a general statement to Abram. A general statement. So now, Abram, get up. Come on, arise. Get to your feet. Start walking. Go north until I tell you to stop. Go east until I tell you to stop. Go south until I tell you to stop. Go west until I tell you to stop. Abram, walk out the land. He wouldn't have done it in a day. This would have been weeks worth of walking. Walk it out, Abram. I gave you a general promise. Now it's time to arise and receive it. And Abraham built an altar. Worship is the way to receive the promise of possibilities larger than you ever imagined. I'm sure when Abraham walked day after day after day, he was thinking, this is mind-boggling, the promise that God is giving me. What started out as a vague promise, when he worshiped God, God began to reveal the details. Listen, so many times we just say, in God's sovereignty, you know, it'll happen the way it'll happen. No, listen, God is sovereign, but he asks you to walk it out in worship. As you call on his name, as you open your heart to him, all of a sudden you see him in greater magnitude than you saw him before. Begin to worship him, and he will show you how great his promise really is. If he seems small, itty-bitty God, means you haven't been worshiping him very well. 
Because in your worship, he will grow beyond measure, beyond your imagination, where you can't contain him anymore. And therefore, anytime he says, I'll do this, you're just going, I know you will, God, because I've found you in that place of worship. Wow. Brings me to altar number five. We're going to jump down to chapter 22. Genesis 22, verse one. Just I'm just going to, the first part. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Here's the last altar. It's the altar of surrender. Now, a lot has happened between chapter 13 and chapter 22. Suffice it to say that when we get to 22, God talks to Abraham and brings a great test. This is the test where God asks Abraham to go up on Mount Moriah and to offer his son on the altar of sacrifice. It's the altar of surrender. And Abraham would do that. He would take the donkey, take a service. They would go so far, then his son and him would make their way on to the mountain where they would offer, they would build this altar. And this is the last altar we're talking, build this altar. And this altar became the altar of surrender. It was a test, the test of sacrifice. Genesis 22 to me, and I think it should be for all of us, Genesis 22 is really a love story. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. And I've had people say, if a God is a loving God, he would never have asked Abraham to do that. No, that is not true. I see it as a love story on three points. Number one, it reveals God's love for Abraham. It reveals God's love for Abraham when God invited Abraham to enter into the fellowship of the Father as one who loves and trusts enough to sacrifice his son. Abraham would experience fellowship with his heavenly father because years later, isn't that exactly what happened on the cross? It was on exactly the same place on Mount Moriah where our heavenly father surrendered his only begotten son. There is no greater love. And so this reveals God's love for Abraham. Abraham, you are the father of faith, and you get to be the first one to experience what it is to do this. Secondly, it reveals Abraham's love for his father. I mean, Abraham didn't argue. He just did it. He trusted God by now because he was a worshiper. And thirdly, it reveals Isaac's love for his dad. For Isaac could have probably outrun his dad at that point, right? But he didn't. He trusted his dad. It reveals the father's love for Abraham, Abraham's love for the father, and the son's love for Abram. It's the true dominion of worship. This is where you surrender your life. It's called the sacrifice of worship, and you surrender those things. When I lay down my life, when I fellowship in his sufferings unto death, there is no greater measure of worship. It's not me that lives, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I live, I've died to, so that Christ is alive in me today. What worship is there? True dominion of worship the fellowship of his sufferings unto death. I want to suggest worship takes you to that place. It's that place where you, you overcome life's insurmountable obstacles. And in that place of your weakness, you move into the power of an almighty God in ruling with Christ by dying with him. You won't rule if you haven't first died in him. And together you're knit with the Lord. Five altars. Five altars. Can I just recap? You worship him. Just accept what his promises are. 
then grow deeper into the place of worship. Begin to declare his nature, his character, the names of God. Worship him through those names. And you will detour at times. And when you detour, come back, return to the place of worship, and passionately worship him again. The altar's still there. And then enlarge your horizons of hope. His plans need to be walked out. So begin to worship him, and he will magnify himself and his purposes. And then fully surrender everything in your life relationship to him. I'm going to invite you, Lori's going to come back, and I'm going to invite you to join me. I know you are maybe sitting in your living room, kitchen. Perhaps you are perhaps you are uh, driving, okay? Uh, wherever you are, wherever you are. I'm going to invite you. Can we just apply this? Again, this is a moment. Maybe you need to apply these altars in your own life. And let's, let's let faith, let's become people, men and women, teenagers and kids of faith. God wants to, I believe, he wants to reach in as he did in my life 31 years ago. He wants to reach in and he wants to peel back something in your heart and it'll be, it'll be the place of worship. That you not just worship him as an act of duty, that you become a worshiper as Abraham was. The secret to walking in faith. We're going to sing the song that I had sang uh, on earlier in the service here. I'm going to invite you. I know you're probably sitting on your couch or something, but would you just kind of forget the people around you, your husband or wife, what, your children, kids, forget your parents, okay? Um, would you just worship the Lord? If we were here live, if you were here in the auditorium right here, I'd be saying, would you stand to your feet? Would you lift your hands? Would you express yourself to God? It'd be something which I'd probably even say, come on to the front. Let's come to the altar. <laughs> Could we, we call the front of our church altar here? Let's come to the altar and let's worship the Lord. Would you worship him? Don't be embarrassed. Let's worship him. We're going to come right in on the bridge. Trust that you know it. It goes like this. For all that you've done, you have poured out our love. This will be our anthem song. Sing that again for all. For all that you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. Are the one our hearts adore. Come on, let's worship Him. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. For all that you've done, sing it. That you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Yes, we do, Lord. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. We love. 
love you, yes, Lord. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the Father, we just do give you our worship. Lord, lead us into the place, oh God, of understanding the power of coming to the altar, the power of the worship. Even today, Lord, open up a whole new world for us, I pray. That, God, we not only just start and stop here, but that, God, this be part of our life, be worshipers of you. Pray there would be breakthrough this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.